This is Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Joseph Anthony Cress. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all of those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ba-boom. All right, Father Joseph Anthony, how are things in the great state of Virginia? Actually, word is that you'll be leaving the oh. great state of Virginia temporarily for a little Just mission briefly. trip. That is exciting. Your thoughts? Mm-hmm. My thoughts. Well, thank you so much. The weather looks good. It's starting to turn into beautiful spring weather in the mountains. But I'm going to different mountains. I'm, move, I'm leaving the Blue Ridge and I'm going to the Andes. Uh, I think it's the Andes. I don't know. We're going down to Lima, Peru on a, a spring break mission trip. I've never been to South America. I haven't been to Peru. But I'm excited um, because we're going down to help serve the poor uh, of Lima um, from our Dominican life. And so I'm taking students from UVA and our focus missionaries here. And the reason why I think that's so important is of the great Dominican saints in the city of Lima. You have Rosa Lima, Martin de Porres, Juan Macias. And these are all saints who gained their crown of sanctification, their holiness through serving poor from the Dominican life. And I think that's something that's not typically connected, right? Serving the poor is a very Franciscan thing, right? Dominicans, we just hit the books and, and things like that. But like, there's true um, sanctification from this Dominican life, this life of preaching, this life of uh, intellectual uh, pursuit of the Lord um, that can love the poor and serve them. So we're going down into that city to serve the poor from this Dominican um, life and using those saints as our models for that. So yeah, it'll be a great time. Um, I haven't even thought about packing yet, and I leave like in 24 hours uh, <laughs> at the recording of this. So like, ah, it's going to be kind of a, yeah, it's going to be a trip. Let's go. <laughs> Incredible. All right. So apropos of Peru and mission uh -huh. trips in Peru, our classmate, Father Michael Mary Wibley, went on a focused mission trip to Peru the summer after we were ordained. And I remember this because when we went to celebrate a massive Thanksgiving, at the Dominican Monastery in Linden, Virginia. We we're having uh -huh. a meal afterwards, and it was all of us classmates. And then I had brought two guests. There's a, a friar from the province of Columbia, and then his cousin, Lulu. And she was Dude, explaining- I remember that. This, this is so <laughs> awesome. She was explaining to Father Michael Mary Wibley that in this time, right, in this moment, there are planes in Peru that are exploding. <laughs> And I, and I was like, huh, planes are exploding. And you can see, you know, Father, Father Michael's face is like, oh, no, I'm going into an explosion zone. And I was like, I was like Lulu, um, did you mean to say explodar or explorar? And she was like, explorar. I was like, ah, yeah, they're exploring. She's like, yes, 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 they're exploring. <laughs> So um, <laughs> there's a huge a difference between exploring and exploding, just as there is a huge difference between vacationing and missioning. So I wish you yeah. happy trails on the latter. But Thanks. apropos Thanks. of this particular episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that God reveals himself. So we've begun a new Lenten series in which we're kind of getting into uh, like principles of our Catholic belief. And we're doing this with an eye towards um, the Eucharistic renewal, which is a foot here in the church. Um, and kind of like part of that conversation is the recognition that we can't really appreciate the Eucharist and we come, unless we come at it from a, a principled perspective. Like, so we started 
with like the prospect of truth, the episode from last week with myself and Father Patrick. And now we're going to talk about Revelation and we'll go forward from there to talk about God and his Christ. Just kind of lay the foundation in order that we can build something beautiful in terms of, you know, faith, hope and love. So, um, all right, when talking about Revelation, Father Joseph Anthony, you know, you've got a variety of thoughts tending in a variety of directions. What, what, what do we think first here about Revelation? What, where do we start or where do we begin this conversation? Uh, I think w with all things, you know, we begin with God and we terminate with God. So like, okay, let's, uh, this aspect of Revelation, you know, is it really necessary? Like, do we need God to reveal himself or can we just like put all the pieces of the puzzle together? Like, let's look around this. Okay. We see the, the world, like, what can we gain? What can we get from everything around us? Can't we just kind of assemble all the pieces in like a nice little divine, like Lego set or Erector set? And then just like, bam, there's our, there's our God in the mat. Um, and I, I think the answer is we can only get so far, right? I mean, this is the whole uh, beautiful kind of dance with philosophy and theology. Like philosophy can get us to a certain um, understanding and a certain pursuit and uh, down the, the road towards that. But at a certain point, you know, God reveals himself and then um, elevates that knowledge with his self-revelation to us. So like, is it necessary? Well, well, yes, actually it is to understand the totality of it. Um, because then it's his action of self-revealing um, who he is that then continues to draw us into that deeper, deepest relationship that was, you know, drawn uh, from our kind of putting the pieces together in a certain sense. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you think about it from this perspective and when you talk about it from this vantage, because I think a lot of people you know, like when the question of God is posed to them, they think about it as kind of like extra or unnecessary. So, you know, mm -hmm. like a lot of happy pagans out there are kind of kind of happy pagans or seemingly happy pagans, however you want to characterize them, who, who would think about religion as a source of strife, discord, tension, of delaying our expectation of gratification or of even melioration, to use a weird word, like, why would I improve this world if I could look forward to a life that's better and, you know, beyond the pale? Yeah. So, so, so a lot of people, I don't know how many, but many people look on religion with a kind of suspicion and they look at mm -hmm. it as something that's extra, that's otios, that's unnecessary. But it's actually in the Summa Theologiae, St. Thomas begins with the fact of its necessity because he says, okay, we're made, you know, from God and for God. And that, that fact is kind of inevitable. It's something that, that you're, not necessarily going to recognize, but it's something, the recognition of which is sown in your very nature itself. Now, mind you, we have sinned. So we're hounded by woundedness and weakness. And as a result of which we find it exceedingly difficult to come to the discovery of that truth. And so he says, the only people who do are like, you know, wise people, uh, but it takes them a long time. And there are a lot of errors mixed in. But he says, since this, you know, since this prospect of knowing God and loving God is so very vital to human existence, namely, our eternal destiny hinges upon it. He says, God reveals himself, right? Yeah. Um, so God makes himself known so that we can, you know, come to enjoy the life that he extends to us in the generosity of creation and recreation. So, so I think, I mean, I think it's fascinating to come at it from that perspective of necessity, like without revelation, where would we be? Uh, 
<laughs> that's that is a deep dark uh rabbit hole to dive into <laughs> yeah i mean because we because we like to think that yeah you know like we're basically good people and we might be able to sort it out given our given our resources albeit meager resources but then you look around and you see how we're kind of retreating as a culture away from belief in god and the way in which that translates almost seamlessly into like brutishness and nastiness mm -hmm. and I Crazy town. Like I live in Switzerland and Switzerland just launched a new line of euthanasia pods. Okay. So you can just hop, snuggle on in. All right. And end your life in the most sanitary way possible. Fascinating. Oh Infinitely fascinating, but so, so dispiriting when you look at Infinitely it. Infinitely terrifying. Holy Anna. Yeah. Yeah. But here, I mean, here's another aspect of what you're kind of saying is like that understanding that actually revelation is necessary is is really important because the lord does it for our benefit to continue to kind of give us this most direct way of living in our fullness of who we are as created um you know in, in the image and likeness of god but his revelation is an act of love and mercy for us and i think sometimes that maybe revelation is proposed of like you said this addition like ah you guys couldn't do it by yourself so i got to go now throw you this bone and here's here's what you missed like here's what you weren't able to do like ah it's kind of a pathetic like okay well i'll help you out type of thing but no it's it's actually an act of love and mercy and saying hey I know you're prone to 5,000 different paths. Like I know you're prone to uh, the murkiness and trying to figure it out on your own. I'm, you don't have to rely on that. Here's the direct revelation. Here is the direct path to my heart and to your heart as well. And so like, here's revelation. So it is necessary, but it's a necessary act of love of God. It's a necessary act of mercy of him towards us. It's uh, St. Thomas makes these observations that by faith, a little old lady can, name, can know more than even the wisest of philosophers. And when you think about um, mm. not only the content of, but like the shape of, the form of this gift, it is staggering. Because oh, yeah. you think about all kinds of smart people who came before the Lord Jesus Christ and the ways in which they reasoned to really exalted and fascinating things. But by virtue of the fact that she has been baptized, anonymous little old lady of anonymous little old country can know more and genuinely know more, right? Uh, because faith is a kind of knowing. Faith gives a kind oh. of certainty. Faith gives you a solidity in the testimony of the God who speaks, which is just staggering when you think about it on those terms. And there's, there's like a lot of cool patristic themes that we, we pick up, the fact that, that God condescends, right? He descends greatly. So God limits himself. You describe it in terms of love and mercy, but God kind of constrains himself to the limits of our nature so that we can receive right. him, right? So that he doesn't overwhelm yeah. us or so that he doesn't like blind us by the light, as it were. Blinded by the light. Uh, oh gosh, that's going to go on the internet and never die. Um, but that, you, <laughs> you bring up this other thing that's like, faith is real knowledge. And this is like drives me up a wall when people like engage with faith, like, oh, I just believe that or I take that on faith, meaning I think it's, you know, this like this, it lives out in the um, immaterial, can't prove it. So I'm just going to say I, I have faith in that. And it's like, no, that's not just like constructed knowledge that you're drawing with crayons. Like this is real knowledge. And I mean, Aquinas talks about how the knowledge gained through faith is actually more real than knowledge observed because it's knowledge of the eternal. 
and it's 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 a lasting knowledge it's a more stable form of knowledge than the knowledge of this or this material but changing world and like how important that is that we approach faith as not just like well i can't explain it but i know it's real so i'm just going to say it's faith it's like no this is real knowledge here and it's actually a, a more stable form of knowledge because it's a knowledge of the eternal one through which all things have their um their existence yeah so faith isn't a kind of hand waving it's actually a holding firm and it's a holding mm -hmm. firm to a testimony which is more solid or more certain as you describe it because it comes from god who is most solid and certain in the truth because mm -hmm. he subsists as the truth so thing about the truth that's great is truth is communicable and that by communicating uh -huh. the truth you can draw people into communion so let's meditate for a little bit on this fact that god speaks when you mm. hear these words, right, we're talking a little bit metaphorically insofar as we think about speech first in terms of enunciables and us pronouncing weird words like thwack and whack. I don't know why those came to mind first, but I was celebrating the fact that we speak a language <laughs> which, never mind, keep on going, Father Gregory. All right. Um, but but we, we talk about God speaks in a kind of metaphorical, analogical way, but it, but it names something real. So introduce us into that mystery. Well, you, you kind of are hinting at this is the interior life of the trinity right the eternal word spoken into being um in in this kind of dynamic and relationship between the father and the son is spoken into being and so as god speaks he he's revealing himself in the son and so the revelation you know now we're kind of you know spiraling if you will into the incarnation but that's a whole another uh thing but it's because it's the fullness of the revelation of the Father, because now we're dealing with the revelation of the, the interior life of the Trinity. But this is what God speaking draws us into that. And so with all speech, right, there's one who's speaking, one who's articulating, one who's hearing, the auditor, and the one who's receiving that speech. And so the, initial, uh, the initiation in Revelation is God himself as he speaks, but it then draws us into this heart of the very dynamic of relationships within the Trinity because he has identified and revealed himself as the word made flesh um, later on down the road as we'll get into that. But yeah, this, this aspect of God speaking begins to plant the seeds and draw us into that reality. Um. I'm <laughs> I'm writing a chapter in my dissertation right now, uh, mm -hmm. which involves the fittingness of the fact that the son assumed human flesh. So why the son? Why not the father? Or mm -hmm. why not the Holy Spirit? And the way that I'm addressing it is by going through the, the kind of classic proper names of the second person, the most blessed trinity. So word, image, and son. And I just wrote the section on both word and image, which were like a kind of theological rodeo. Uh, I'm, it's never <laughs> the case that I am impressed with a thing that I write. After I write a thing, I look back and I, I say to myself, could you have subordinated more clauses there, sweetheart? You know, unbelievable. Um, but I wrote, I just, I just wrote something the other day and I was just kind of blown away by the theological truth of it. Yeah. Namely that the word, okay. So we, we refer to the second of the Trinity as the word because God in knowing himself kind of proceeds as a, a concept, right? Proceeds as like a kind of a spoken fruit. I mean, St. Thomas uses a variety of images to describe it, but basically like God's knowledge of himself is so fecund, it's so fruitful that it proceeds as a word spoken. And in that word, what is spoken is the Godhead. 
and then all things which issue from the Godhead. Okay, so like in that word is spoken God and all things that, that share in God, right? Which is to say creation. And so St. Thomas will say it's, it's fitting that the word assume human flesh because what is this work that he is about but like a kind of recreation or a new creation? And so the one who spoke the original design speaks a renewed design in us. And I was just looking at that and I was just like, ah! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, sweet, precious Lord. It's just oh. awesome. Like the fact that God speaks, like God is speaking at the heart of the Trinity. God, God speaks forth a word, a word that breathes forth love. And that speaking kind of, um, what would you say? It kind of goes beyond the bounds of the triune life. Uh, and it echoes into creation. And that word is addressed to us and it's clothed in human flesh and vesture so as to best be received by us because we are made for the hearing of that word. And our mm -hmm. salvation depends upon our hearing of that word, our interiorizing of that word, our being transformed unto that word, which is just a wild, wild thing. So, yeah, I don't know. Fi final thoughts uh, on the fact that God speaks. Anything else that, that that conjures in your heart and mind? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it gets back to the reality that the Lord in his very essence is communicating himself to us through this revelation. And it's not just this kind of um, after the fact of like, oh, well, you know, because of sin, they've lost the capacity to know me. So now I have to then like go one step further. Like this is his very identity is to draw all things in union. So he speaks and, and he communicates himself in this uh, unique way. And so, yeah, I think it's just to constantly get back to this point of like, well, why revelation? Well, it's actually to draw us into the very essence, into the very heart of God himself as he communicates himself. And so, um, yeah, it, it kind of opens up more horizons in that sense. And then, um, yeah, I'll just, we'll move on then because I'm starting to ramble. No, it's, it's, it is for this that we have come into the world. It's for us to ramble until such time as the Lord makes sense of our speech. And I think that that's basically what we await in heaven. So please, God, until such time, we'll just say weird things. All right. Um, now we touched a little bit on the way in which we receive this revelation. So we yes. want to talk about it. You know, we want to touch on the mysteries. We want to touch on the theology of it, but we also want to talk about it in a kind of practical sense. Like how do I become better at registering the divine utterance, at registering the divine speech? So the first thing that we highlighted is faith. Okay. So God applies these mysteries to us. We would say spiritually by faith and then corporally by sacraments. I just came across that text from St. Thomas, mm. which he writes, okay, so he writes that in like, what would that be? That'd be question 29 of the day, very tight. In like 1259, which means that he's like my age, <laughs> our age, all right? Um, is that true? Yeah, that's true, that's true. And yeah, it's just like, I think it is. holy smokes. Yeah, just kind of fashioning these insights, which touch on the very heart of the mystery uh, and, and, and communicate them in such a powerful and forceful way. So I'm very grateful to be brothers with him, uh, to be a student of him, whatever. Okay, keep going, Father Gregory. But, but all I'm all saying right, so, is like, his rambling at our age is so much different than our rambling. Like you, our listeners are getting the taste of us just like, I'm thinking out loud here, but like his is just so precise and beautiful and just, ugh. yeah, he's our brother. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I was, I was in Rome last weekend <laughs> for a conference, um, at the Angelicum on divinization through the cross, which is great. Uh, but yeah. I made some visits to some churches in Rome and I visited the, the Dominican church. They have Santa Maria Sopra Minerva where they have oh, a relic wow. of his mm -hmm. forearm, like the bone, like the ulna or the radius or whichever one it is. And I was like, ah, 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 ah. okay. 
Um, they also have St. Catherine of Siena's whole body and Fra Angelico's whole body. And then I went to Bologna and I was said mass at St. Dominic's tomb. And I was like, ah! okay, I'm going to stop. But seriously. Uh, so we're talking about the fact that God's revelation okay, or God's speech registers in us. Okay. So mm -hmm. what, what do we do in order to, to attend to it? How is it that we receive it? I don't know. Do you have initial thoughts? Obviously don't have to be polished, but get us started on this tack. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it, that dynamic between like faith and sacraments. So spiritually within faith, how do we receive faith? What's initiated on us in baptism when we see the life of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, you know, conform to his divinity in the sacrament of baptism, washed clean and given the gifts of faith, hope and charity. Okay, theological virtues, super important right here, right? And uh, faith being the gift precisely that is initiated at our baptism and thus is what? A response to God as he has revealed himself. So faith being the ascent of the heart and the mind to what? To God as he has revealed himself. And this is so important because we have to constantly be pursuing and allowing ourselves to be like enveloped in re revelation and not just like frustrated by it. I think a lot of times people get like frustrated by revelation or they, they use it as like a hammer and a weapon, but like, no, this is revealed like, bah. but like, if we can just like, it's the, it's like the weighted blanket or like the snuggie that just like envelops <laughs> us. But we have to be like, we receive God as he has revealed himself to us. And so we have to constantly be enveloped in it and pursuing it and be open to it, uh, allowing our faith then to receive who God has revealed himself to be, and then also involved in that because it's a double revelation, is who God is, and then in relation to that, who we are. Hmm. Yeah. When, when, when I think about faith, I often return to this image that Father Walter Farrell uses in his commentary uh, on the Summa, the companion to the Summa, and he describes us as like kind of caged birds, uh, kind of left to our own devices, left to uh, not, but our human nature were like caged birds. And he says, the virtue of faith is like having that cage opened and being ushered into the wide world beyond. And I think for a lot of people, when you, when you hear faith, you think kind of like dark ages or obscurantism, antipathy to science, whatever it might be. Okay. Or at least that's how it's cast in the ambient mm -hmm. culture. But faith is actually an opening to reality. And we fall in to some of the most crass, you know, materialism, or ideology as a result of, you know, the, the, the bracketing of faith or as a result of the re like rejection of faith. You'll hear it said like wars of religion account for the killing of many, many people, which is true, right? But wars of atheism account for 10 times as many killings just in the 20th century alone, right? When you bracket the question of God, you, you limit the compass of your human life. So this point that you're making, you know, in the revelation of the father, Christ reveals man to man himself, which is fascinating. And so for us, this becomes a very, very practical point. Namely that, you know, if we're trying to make a decision or if we're trying to kind of get a, a sense of bearing or a sense of footing, it comes from God, right? It's yep. fine. Yep. You know, we have, we have human resources with which to, um, I don't know, extricate ourselves from sticky situations or to forge a way through, um, you know, thickets of whatever sort. But, but ultimately, like the intelligibility of our lives comes from God, comes ultimately from God who creates us, but comes uh, in a new way, in a renewed way through the, the recreating power of grace, which, which faith gives us an opening to. Um, so when it comes to like hearing the voice of God who speaks, 
there's a kind of simplicity to that gesture. There's a kind of obedience to that gesture. We talk about the obedience of faith often in conversation, oh, yeah. uh, touching on like Abraham or the, the rule of St. Benedict begins with that word, ob audire. The word obedience, it's derives from the same root as listen, as hearing. Um, so yeah, there's a kind of, like I said, like a simplicity to that act of faith whereby we open ourselves by God's grace to the giving of the same grace. But this is a, a key point is like, what is that disposition? It's a totally different disposition, right? That you are the one who receives mm. and, and to, to be the one who hears first, the one who is being spoken to. Um, and I'll, I'll go one step further and say being called out to being pursued, right? Not just spoken at, not just the being talked to, but called out in like the calling out. We hear this early on in Genesis, right? When God is pursuing Adam and Eve after the sin, he's calling out for them. He's speaking to them. He's revealing himself to him. What's at the nature that he wants to be in union with his creation. And so like that disposition of actually faith is one of reception. Uh, it's a disposition of let me receive first. And this is why I love, um, oh, it's the introduction to the lectionary, I believe right now speaks about the disposition of the faithful during the liturgy of the word and the reason why the physical posture of sit, sitting like that's the posture of the lay faithful during the liturgy of the word is so that they can receive and meditate on the word of god like that's an active reception but it's a disposition of receiving god's revelation as he speaks anew borrowing human voice borrowing human vocal cords but he's speaking anew to his children. Boom. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't often think about liturgical gestures, but I was, yeah, I was thinking about that recently and the fact that, yeah, the sitting as, as disposition to reception, standing as a kind of mm -hmm. proclamation of triumph. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. The fact that this, these mysteries are applied to us, not only spiritually, but also corporeally. All right. So for then uh, the final thought or our final point, let's, let's give some kind of practical, tips and tricks, as it were, which help us to interiorize this disposition of openness or receptivity to God's revelation. So a, a first thought that occurs to me is I think that it's good to have a kind of distance from your phone, and it's good to have a kind of distance from the noise, which can otherwise creep into your life to create a space yep. of silence in which to hear the Lord. And the reason mm -hmm. I think about this, so I don't often talk about my Lenten penances, but I'm going to talk about some of my Lenten penances right now. I bought an alarm clock. I mean, I just went on Amazon.fr and I typed in alarm clock. Um, and then I, I sorted price low to high and I bought the first one that looked like an alarm clock. Um, and the reason was because <laughs> I was using my phone as an alarm clock. And the problem with that is that I, I would pass seamlessly from alarm to the 76ers basketball score mm -hmm. or to my email or things like that. But I had begun to kind of create a space of anti-revelation. I'd begun to populate my day uh, with tasks or with anxieties, with the concerns um, that were of my kind of own making, as it were. And, um, and, and it created a kind of resistance to or a kind of, um, yeah, indocility to the work of revelation, which is why, you know, you, you often hear the spiritual practice commended of making a morning offering. And so, yeah, in conversation with my spiritual director, yeah, distance from phone slash alarm clock, and then just punctuating the day with more, more kind of conscious um, moments of recollection. So just turning to the Lord, becoming recollected in, you know, in the fact that he is present, becoming more present to him as a way by which to, yeah, just open the eyes of my heart to, to the vision 
of the revelation, which he makes known, which he makes manifest. So those are, those are just a couple of small things that I'm thinking about this Lent. How about you? Um, I, I think I have like four quick hitters. I want to see how quickly I can hit all four. One, I think it's beautiful and the Holy Spirit moves in mysterious ways that you are, uh, bought yourself an alarm clock because I did something very, very similar. I put my phone across the room this Lent. <laughs> nice. So like I haven't bought an alarm clock, but I needed a physical distance from my phone because I do the same thing. I was using it as my alarm clock every night, but like it would just sit like underneath my pillow. And I was like, mm -hmm. I need a physical distance. I need to actually get my butt out of bed, walk across a room and turn this stupid thing off. And turns out you don't need seven alarms to get out of bed. You only need one <laughs> if it's, you know, across the room. So I 100% agree. But I think a real physical distance can create that space and actually builds up discipline in your life and all these other things, which are is helpful. Um, the second thing I think, and this is also attached to the phone, is the fact that we are attached to the phone. And I think the best thing we can do, and like you know this living in Switzerland, I, I love the Blue Ridge Mountains in Central Virginia, get out into nature. Like the more, because it's spoken of, the church fathers speak of how nature is God's first book of revelation. And the more that we actually you know, when's the last time you actually touched the bark of a tree? But yet we touch our phones like 50,000 times a day. And there's something to being like surrounded by nature in really God's first revelate book of revelation to us. His first speaking to us is his creation and to allow yourself to be surrounded by that. So that's the second thing I would say. The third thing is read scripture, read the gospels. Like we haven't really talked about uh, scripture and, and how God reveals scripture in tradition. We haven't talked about that. We'll probably do that in a different episode. But when I was talking about being surrounded by God's revelation, I mean by putting yourself into his created world uh, to see his majesty, to take in a sunset, to listen to the, the song of a morning dove, like to surround yourself by his creation but also to surround yourself with the scriptures, how he speaks to his children through the prophets, how he has sent his son to heal and, and, and read that on a regular basis. The last thing, this is number four, man, I did that quickly. Uh, pray for an increase of faith, faith, hope, and charity um, have no excess. We can't go too far in excess of them and their gifts that the Lord has given to us. So to pray for an increase of faith so that we can receive God as he reveals himself to us um, and do that every day. Um, so yeah, those are my practicals. Dude, I love it. Uh, we often make the candid and humble admission that we tend not to be too terribly practical, but Father <laughs> you're certainly more practical than I am. So that's a great list. Kudos. Mm -hmm. All right. Dear listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Godsplaining. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you're kind of geared up for this Lenten series so that way we can set the stage for a future series to come on the most blessed Eucharist. Uh, thanks again to all of our supporters. If you'd like to tithe to our work, please check us out at patreon.com slash godsplaining. Please do continue to or begin to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review, all of which help us tremendously. And then visit godsplanning.org to shop our merchandise and get dates and information for upcoming Godsplanning events, including three retreats to be hosted this summer in New York and in North Carolina, 
all of which things we're super excited for and we're super excited for getting to meet you, uh, pray with you, chat with you at those venues. So our prayers are for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on God's Planning.